Reformed Church. All right, Pastor Jose will be up here in just a second, but um, he just wanted to open up the service today by playing a video that we made um, a long while ago, uh, several years ago. Um, actually, our church name wasn't even Reformed Church at the time, so you'll actually see in the video that it says Harvest Family Church or Harvest Church in it, um, which used to be our name. Um, but I just wanted to explain a couple things with the video. Um, he's going to come up here and uh, talk about the video in just a second as well, but um, with this video, it was sort of our version of the Little Drummer Boy, and so I'm not sure if you're if anyone's familiar with the original film, like the stop-motion Little Drummer Boy video. Um, the point with that video actually is that um, the Little Drummer Boy plays his drum for Jesus because his lamb is hurt. Uh, he has like this little lamb that gets uh, it's like gets hit by a wagon or something like that, and is hurt. And so one of the wise men advises him to, to go to Jesus, baby Jesus at the time. And the little drummer boy plays his drum for Jesus. And then after he plays his drum for Jesus, um, it's, it's alluded to that Jesus, because of the, um, the sort of offering of the little drummer boy to baby Jesus, that baby Jesus sort of heals his lamb at the end because of um, what he offered. So that's the original dr little drummer boy film. This is a different spin on that. If you'd like to watch the Little Drummer Boy animation that we were just referring to, you can click the link below this video to view it there. All right, yeah, boy, I thought for a second I was gonna lose it there. It just, <laughs> man, my Jesus. Um, yeah, so, um, but you know, let me explain something to you. That actually, believe it or not, uh, I just, just so you can see the, just the importance that I see in that, um, there is probably nothing that I've ever seen on television um, or in the movies ever, not a single solitary thing that I have ever seen that's more significant than that. And that's, that's an animated thing uh, that Pastor Mike developed years ago. Um, and he, it was everything from the little, everything was made, I think, from like shapes and with, I mean, he just did the whole thing. Obviously, there's no words to it. Um, but I tell you what, I, th there is just nothing that I have ever seen produced by anyone ever that has more significance to me than that. Um, in, we're going to be looking at some references, actually, that you even saw there. Some of the references were from Hebrews chapter 10. We're actually going to be reading, spending probably the majority of our time in Hebrews chapter 9 and Hebrews chapter 10. And, and the reason why I thought that was so significant is that um, if you see the little, the little drummer boy, um, the story, the way it goes, and the way... Uh, the way people normally hear that story and the way it touches them, right, is that you, you, he played the best that he could for Jesus, right? And that somehow Jesus was so pleased, or, and really it was Jesus as a baby, so somehow God was so pleased with the offering of his playing his best for him that because of that playing, right, the little lamb was healed. Right, but that, that's probably the most blasphemous thing you can say, right? And yet Christians around the world celebrate that, like that is some kind of great thing that's being taught. But it's, it's, it's so contrary to Jesus. It's probably some of the most contrary antichrist things that you can teach is to say that instead of it being everything that we receive and everything that God does be because of what Christ has done, because of the cross, because, you know, you see at one point that his eyes, if you zoom into his eyes, all you see is the image of the cross in his eyes. So in other words, what he saw was instead of seeing the value in what he was doing, Right? You see him take off his drum and he throws it down to the point that you see it kind of broken and in shambles a little bit. Right, um, He throws down the drum and he looks at, uh, at the Messiah having taken bodily form in, in the body of a baby and he says, thank you. Right? Now that's significant right? because the, the, the fact that Jesus took on a body Right? And we'll see it in Hebrews. It says that the only reason actually that he took on a body is because he was coming to do the will of the Father, which was as obviously to be able to have our sin 
condemned. In other words, our sin, our sin punished, our sin condemned in his body, right? God has never, ever been soft on sin, right? All the contrary. God has always believed and still believes that sin is to be punished, right? The difference is that our sin was already punished. It's not like God left our sin unpunished, obviously, but the Lord condemned. In other words, he punished our sin in his body. So, so the idea behind that video and uh, one of the points that it makes is that what the little drummer boy uh, found, right, is he, he remembered or whatever, right, that he had been taught that the Messiah was coming, right, in order to bear his sin. So that's why he says thank you to him. And then what you see is as a result of faith in Jesus, as a result, and that's why you see the cross, you see him, you see the, the, him getting nailed to the cross, you see, you see uh, Golgotha or Skull Mountain depicted by the three crosses, right? And then after he's put faith in what Christ has done, then you see the little lamb is healed now. You saw the lamb kind of up instead of it being down at his feet the way it was before. Um, and, and that's very significant, right? Because it, th there is a large portion of the body of Christ a large, a huge portion, if not the majority of all other religions, that all of them have placed huge importance on, the, on, on what men do, huge, huge um, importance on symbols. Now, not, not that a symbol has no significance, right? A symbol, like if you look at a cross, right? A symbol, that's a symbol of what Christ has done. So you could actually look at the cross and it could remind you or bring to your memory, right? Bring to your mind what Christ accomplished for you. So in that, in that instance, right? The, the cross is a symbol, so it's a good thing, right? But, but what, what we've done though is we take something that's meant to be symbolic, right? And we allow the symbol to detract from the reality, right? In other words, today symbols, you know, I'm not really a person that goes, that has, you know, that lives by any symbols, that I have to wear something around my neck or that I have to, I have to have a certain thing in my house or that I have to have certain things placed in different places or that I have to pray at a certain time or that I have to do certain things, right? Because the reality who is Christ has already come and he's already ascended to the Father and he's already come to live on the inside of me. So I don't have to think about a symbol, right? I just, I just think about the reality of what I have, right? Now, sometimes I can, I can see a symbol, I can see symbolic things in scripture. I can see symbolic things like, like you know, some of some of the of what you saw in the video. Some of that was was uh, could be interpreted as symbolic, right? But and then in, in in some other instances, it was showing the reality, right? Christ and Him crucified. But but the importance is, you know, what 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 that little drummer boy understood is he understood why it is that he had come, right? And 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 when we see that. You, you see why, why it was that the first covenant needed to be replaced, right? The first covenant, if you don't know, right, obviously the first covenant has been replaced. We don't live under the first covenant. We live under the second covenant. I know that people like to call it old and new, but there was a first covenant and then there was a second covenant. In Hebrews chapter 9, you know, I, I'll just say this one thing. It's just a little extra thing on the side here. You know, um, we have always been big proponents of being very careful or uh, being conscious of what you hear and what you watch, right? Um, and, and, and really, I think most importantly, um, what you place importance on, right? Like what, what, what things are important to you. And, and the reason why we do that, right, is because, you know, it's funny that you could watch something like this and from a production Right. There are there are movies and there are things where they spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on these things. Right. And, and yet, you know, there, there was not millions or thousands of dollars spent on that. Right. It was it was more effort. Right. On the part of Pastor Mike. But 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 when when I tell you and I, I totally believe this. Right. I, I have yet to see I have yet to see anything. Even the movie, The Passion of the Christ, I don't, think, I don't think in any way conveys the same message that that does about the finished work of Jesus. It shows Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's a lot of things that you can look at that movie and say, oh, wow, like you can see his suffering. But the, the message that's clearly portrayed in this animation is not clearly portrayed in that movie, right? Because it's not done with the same knowledge, right? It's not done with the same understanding, with the same revelation of Jesus Christ. So I, I, I would just tell you, you know, that, that's why when we talk about you know, things that are important to us, things that mean something, right? That, that's why, you know, 
being conscious of the music that you listen to and the words that you allow to go round and round in your mind, right? That, that's an important thing because there, there, are, there is an emotion that can be conjured up by different things, right? And, and a lot of the way, the things that you know are reflected in why and when you can get emotional about things. And I can tell you this 100%, right? I, I am, I have, I have had always been the type of person, right, that I, I can get you know, things like I could watch a movie and you know, I could I could be watching like Little House on the Prairie and I could be all choked up. Right. But it's funny that now as as I've grown in my knowledge of Christ over the years, right, certain things that I used to th- think that were touching, they're not very touching to me anymore. Right. Because because all, all it does is, is exalt the things that men are doing instead of exalting Jesus. So so the things, you know, even though something you know emotion there's nothing wrong with emotion but the thing is it's cool how you see your emotions change where you see something like that and 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 i see him playing his little drum and that did nothing for me at all nothing right but i see him throw his drum down and and then you begin to read you know that you know i played my best for him but but god takes no pleasure in our best right i mean that messes me up right because it's like oh my gosh like how significant that is so it's not emotion that's bad right it's just it's just what it is that triggers our emotion sometimes right sometimes can kind of show where your mind is right and where where our thinking is and our knowledge of jesus is um so if we could take a look real quick so hebrews chapter 9 and verse number one it says, then verily the first covenant um, had also ordinances, I'm reading from a King James Version, had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Worldly there is just earthly, right? So the, the first covenant um, had ordinances of divine service. So there were things that were being done under the first covenant that were intended to be um, symbols, right? A symbol of, uh, symbol of service to God, right? In verse number two, it says, for there was a tabernacle, um, there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. So um, this, this is different from, you know, things you, you may have heard us mention, uh, like the Temple of Solomon, right? But, but this is obviously different, even though it has a lot of uh, similarities, this was kind of, th- this was the tent, right, that the people of Israel traveled with. So obviously it wasn't the temple that Solomon constructed. This is talking about the tent. And in the first part of the tent, right, or, or the way it's actually depicted in Hebrews chapter 9 here, it says the first, the first tabernacle, right, because it kind of talks about it like two tabernacles, right? But the first tabernacle, it says was where the, the candlestick was, or the candlestick there is also the lampstand, right? Uh, the lampstand and the table and the showbread. And we talked about, you know, the lamp and the lampstand a couple of services ago. But um, the lampstand and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, or um, that's also translated in some translations, which I think is fine, is also called the holy place, right? So the first place, or the first tabernacle, was called the holy place. And it says, which had a golden censer, uh, sorry, sorry, three, verse number three, it says, and after... Or, or another word there for after really, it says, and beyond. It says, and beyond or after the second veil. So you see that the tabernacle, and then there was a veil, right? And then beyond the veil, it says, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. So it kind of talks about, in Hebrews chapter 9, there are like two tabernacles. One, which is called the holy place, right, or the sanctuary. That is the place where the lampstand was and where um, the table was and the showbread. And then it talks about, the, 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 the second tabernacle, which was beyond the veil. And that's very significant, right? Obviously, there's significance to the veil. There's significance to, to what it means to uh, enter into the holiest of all beyond the veil, right? Uh, and it says that in, that in that second tabernacle or in the holiest of all, that's where verse number four says there was the golden censer, the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot, uh, that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded, um, and the tables or the tablets, right? Here in King James, it says the tables of the covenant. Verse number five says, and over it, the cherubims of glory, um, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Verse number six says, now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went 
always, and that's, that's an important word, right, for this morning. The priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God, right? So they, this was a constant every single day. And actually, from some of the things that you see written in Leviticus and in Exodus, um, and I believe, I believe also in Numbers, but um, it, it was actually something that even Aaron and his sons, they did in the morning and they, did, and they did in the evening. So it was an always constant thing. In other words, the service of God, quote unquote, right? Which would all, could also be said like the, the, uh, the, the worship of God. But you, you say the service of God was performed constantly on a regular basis there, right? Um, it was, it was always in the first tabernacle, and it says accomplishing or performing is another word for accomplishing there, performing the service of God. It says, but in, this, in the second went the high priest alone, and that's an important thing also, right? In, in the first part of that first tabernacle, the priests went in, which was the tribe of Levi, right? The Levitical priesthood went there, and they, there was many priests that performed that service, and they did it constantly, and they were always there. This was a continual offering, continual offering and continual, uh, continual thing, right? Um, in, in that second place, in, in the holiest of all, it says um, that in verse number seven, it says, but in the second went the high priest alone once a year, right? He went alone and he only went once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people, right? So the high priest, number one, went alone. And when he went in, it said he didn't go, he didn't go without blood, but he came obviously, meaning he came with blood and, or he came with a sacrifice for his own sins and for the sins of the people, right? For both. It was for him and for the sins of the people. Um, in um, John chapter 16, and we, we don't have to go there. We could actually stay here if you want. I'll just read this quickly. But um, in, in the portion here in, in verse number 7, where it says that the high priest went alone, I just wanted to draw a little attention to that word alone there. And, and it's out of John chapter 16 and verse number 32. And this is Jesus saying, he says, Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone, and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. So, you, you, I, I, to, you know, as I, was, as I was looking at this and thinking about it, you, several times in, I think it's in just in this one chapter, also in chapter 10, the word alone comes up. Right? Or it says just that he entered in. Right? And the, re the reason why that's significant to me is if you see, if you see the, um, the busyness right, of that first part, of that first tabernacle, right, where it was something that was constantly being done. Right? And then you see beyond the veil, which we'll see in a second, right, that veil is a representation of the flesh of Christ. In other words, that veil is the representation of the body of Christ. So in other words, there is no coming from the first tabernacle into the second tabernacle except you go through that veil right and when you go through that veil the only the only way that anyone could ever enter into that second that second tabernacle or into the the holiest of all was number one to go through the veil and only the high priest which was him could only go alone and also i, I will tell you this um we'll read it we'll we'll probably touch on it later but, it, but leviticus i think chapter 16 talks about how how he it not only could he only go in alone but the the first tabernacle needed to be cleared in other words no man could be even in in the holy place when the high priest was going in in other words no it, it to me you know what what it kept bringing out into my mind is no one could help him do what he did no one needed to help him do what he did and there was nothing in other words there was nothing that men could do to aid in what he was going to do right nothing not a single solitary thing that men could do in other words that all, that that entire that entire constant offering that all, all the work of the levitical priesthood was simply all of that was simply just uh the well one of the um one of the depictions or one of the the, the 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 symbols of that right is of that whole entire first tabernacle is the first covenant in other words the first covenant was all about the works of men towards god right in other words it wasn't about the first covenant was the covenant that moses gave them on sinai 
was not about Christ doing something for us, right? It was about us doing something for the God, right? And, and, and if you, the only way to keep that, right, was to obviously do it perfectly, right? To, that in everything that you did, you did it perfectly. But you see how in order to be able to get into the holiest of all, which is really a depiction of heaven, right? And you see that said later on. But in other words, the, the, the worship of men or the works of men or the playing the best that you can and doing the best work that you can, playing a drum or doing anything or church attendance or your giving of finances or your, your burning of incense or your amount of times that you pray or the times that you pray or the way, the things that you have hanging up in your house or the stuff that you kiss before you want something good to happen or whatever it is that you do, you recognize that that in and of itself has no significance whatsoever. In other words, there is no strength in that. And you'll see even Hebrews 10 talks about that there is no strength in it unless there is death, right? In other words, that the reason why the second covenant had power or strength was because of the death of the mediator, right? That's what gave that strength. And, 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 and you can say, well, there was death or there was blood in the old covenant. Yeah, but the only reason why that had any significance was not because of the death of the lamb, right? Or the death of the bull or the death of the goat. It was because of the symbol. In other words, it was symbolizing the death of the Christ, right? So it wasn't that in and of itself it had any significance. It just that it symbolized Jesus, right? So, so without actually, without the death of Christ, that the new covenant could not be really in, in full force, right? In, in other words, it's clear to see that without the death of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God could not come and live on the inside of us. In other words, we could not live in, in a full force new covenant, right? The new covenant could not really enter in without, without us being able to, to, in other words, without that transpiring without the death of Jesus, right? There was no strength without it. So, so obviously a symbol, a symbol of Christ has no significance, right, uh, in and of itself apart from the death of Jesus. But, but the thing to capture here is that until the death of Jesus, that, that covenant could not be in full force, right? Which obviously that, so that, that's what actually made it come to pass. Um, in, in, so, I, so I read to you John 16, right? Uh, so, so it says, and, and will leave me alone, he said, and yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. So it's interesting how, right, he, he was totally left alone by himself. I mean, it, all of the disciples scattered just like he prophesied that they would. They left him completely by himself, and he accomplished all of the work that was needful to accomplish. He did that, and he did it by himself, right? How much more than today when we're after Right? When we're living in the effects or the aftermath, we've said many times, right? You're living in the effects or the aftermath of the cross. How much do we think that God today needs our specific service, right? And there is, a, there is work to be done, believe me. There is a work to be done. But the work to be done, and Miss Lindsay was actually praying about this, right? Because I think this, this, you know, it's just been cool the way the Lord has been doing this all service. But, but uh, because Miss Lindsay was praying about the very same thing, right? That it would be that the service to God, right, would be by the Spirit of God. And we'll read that in a second, right? Because we are to serve, quote, unquote, in the newness of the Spirit, right? We're to serve in the newness of the Spirit. Actually, in, in John 4, John 4 and verse number uh, 23 i'll read this to you quickly it says but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth the father is seeking such to worship him god is uh god is spirit and those who worship him must worship him or serve god right in spirit and truth right so so this was the lord talking to, I believe it was the Samaritan woman, right? And the Samaritan woman, the Samaritans and the Jews had this ongoing argument as to where is the place where God is to be worshipped, right? And, and, and you really see that, 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 that worshipping God in Jerusalem or worshipping God, you know, in Jerusalem from the tabernacle or having the tabernacle wherever, wherever they were going and worshipping God from there or wh whatever it is or whether the Samaritans thought it was on some mountain or wherever the, that discussion was about, you really see the Lord tell them, you know, it's not about the place, right? It's not about the place. It's, it's that when, when you serve God, the service that God is looking for is he's looking for such that would serve him in spirit and in truth. In other words, by the spirit of God, right? 
by faith in the truth of Jesus Christ, right? In other words, that, that, that the actual service by the Spirit of God, which obviously you see in Acts chapter 2, when Christ died after his death, after him enacting the new covenant, that is when the Spirit of God was poured out upon the earth, and that's when we could receive the Spirit of God in us. And we are to live by the Spirit that was given for the intent purpose of him living and not us, right? It's no longer Christ that lives in. It's not I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me, he said, right? So how does he live in us? He lives in us because the Spirit of God was poured out so, he, so him and the Father could come make their abode in us from John 14, right? So, so you see that what has been given is how we ought to be serving, right? God is not looking for people. He, he, he's not pleased with like certain actions that you do and that if you were to come and use your gift, quote unquote, to play the guitar or whatever, that you would use your gift to be able to bring glory to him. God is never glorified by the gifts of men. It doesn't matter if it's your talent. It doesn't matter if you could throw a basketball, if you can play a guitar, if you can sing with a lovely voice, right? God is not pleased with the talents of men, right? God is pleased with our faith in Jesus Christ. That is pleasing unto the Father, our faith in Jesus. And you can say, well, can't you show, can't you show your faith in God by the words that you say, you know, when you sing with a lovely voice? That's fine. So yes, God is pleased, right? He, it, it pleases the Father when we express our faith in Jesus. But don't get two things mixed up right don't get see a good lovely voice is not the pleasing thing to god right god didn't give you quote unquote the talent of singing with a lovely voice so you can glorify him when you do what you do okay the little drummer boy playing his drum he gets that glory not god he does he played it well right when 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 he focused on when when his focus goes entirely away from his drum is it, and it's cast away there, it says, as, the, as a despicable thing, right? And we focus on what Christ has done. Christ glorifies, always glorifies the Father, right? So Jesus is glorified. So, it's a, so there's a huge chasm, right, in, 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 in what the church believes today. Because how many people, listen, it's nauseating to hear how many people say how they glorify God with their talents, right? And that, oh, you got to use your talent to give glory to God. How can you with the talent that you have, give glory to God, right, for something that he's not even doing through you. When God works, God is glorified. When God does not work, God is not glorified. That should be as simple as one, two, three in the church, right? When God does something, he's glorified. When men do something, they're glorified. Let me put it to you this way. If I have a talent to sing, I do not need Jesus Christ to sing well. I do not need Jesus Christ to sing well. I could sing well without Jesus. So that means that anything that makes the coming of Christ, the coming of that babe, right, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger, and Joseph and Mary looking over him, right, anything that makes that uh, um, unnecessary, right, is not necessary to the cross, right? It's not necessary. It's not nece it doesn't glorify God. Anything that makes that of, of no consequence does not glorify God, right? People are, born, they, they, people are born with talents. Listen, monkeys are born with talents, right? Monkeys, monkeys that they have no faith in Jesus whatsoever can put together blocks and do puzzles and stuff. So uh, can a monkey glorify God? Of course not, right? Monkeys do not glorify God. People do not glorify God. Christ has glorified the Father. It says that, that the glory of the Father is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So it is, it is our, so, so just to get back here on track a little bit here, uh, not that I think I was off, but um, if we come back to Hebrews chapter 9, right, because I want to make sure we fit in as much as, as, much as we can. Um, in verse number 7, Hebrews 9, 7, it says now, um, it says, but into the second went the high priest alone, alone, once. And I know that it says every year, right? But the reason why the high priest had to go into the holiest of all every year, he actually explains it. So I'll actually just, just read it so you can see it. Uh, verse number seven says, but into the second went the high priest only once alone, sorry, alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying, in other words, the Holy, the Holy Spirit was teaching, in other words, God was showing that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, was not yet revealed while the first tabernacle was yet standing. 
So the first tabernacle, he mentioned the first tabernacle in verse number, well, in verse number two. He says, for, for, for there was a tabernacle made the first, wherein was the candlestick. In other words, he mentioned how that first tabernacle was made and how there the Levitical priests went always performing the service to God, right? He, says, he said that it is clear, watch, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while this first tabernacle was standing, right? Now, obviously, there is, a, there is other symbolism in that, right, where it's talking about while the physical, the entire tabernacle was still standing, right? But, but, but also symbolically here, if you see, he says the, there, was no way, uh, there was no way into the holiest of all or no way into heaven, the way, the clear way into heaven was not made manifest while the first tabernacle, which is the works of men, right? So in other words, if we look at the first tabernacle as, as the first covenant, right, or the old covenant, and we see the second tabernacle as the new covenant, right? The, the, the works of men, the law of Moses, right? In other words, the priests always working in there, always doing the service to God, that's the works of men. All of the Ten Commandments are all about the, what you can do as a work to God, right? Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, right? That's the works of men towards God, right? And, and the only way to the, the, he's saying that this, the Holy Spirit was teaching that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first was standing. You can say, well, hold on a second. I don't understand that because you just said the way to get into the holiest of all was through the second veil. So I don't understand that. What does he mean? The Holy Spirit was showing that the way was not made. It was way. It was right there. You go through that veil and there you were in the holiest of all. But what he's saying there is that the way the way into the holiest of all is through the veil. That veil is a representation of the flesh of Jesus Christ, right? So, and, and the holiest of all is actually a representation of heaven. And, and we're going to read it in a second, right? Christ did not come. It says, we'll read in a second that Christ did not come. Uh, in, he didn't go into the, the, the holiest of all, right, which is here. Right? You got it, you got it up there? Yeah, in verse number 24. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, speaking of this physical thing, right? Which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, so, right? So that second tabernacle was a picture of heaven, right? And when the high priest went in there once and everybody else had to clear out from the first tabernacle, right? What that was showing is that the only one that would be able to bring us, right, from bring us into heavenly things, bring us into the kingdom of God was not the, the works of men, was not the service of men that was depicted in the first tabernacle, right? It wasn't the works of men. It wasn't keeping the law of Moses because it, is, it was clear that no one could ever keep that, that, first, that first covenant. In other words, the weakness of that first covenant was our flesh. In other words, our inability was the weakness of that covenant. We, we, were, we were the thing that made it a covenant that needed to be replaced. It wasn't that it was bad what God was saying, right? All the law is good. It's just that we couldn't keep it, right? So in other words, it, 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 everyone would, if we lived under that first covenant, we would all be cursed people, right? If, if that's what we were living under and Christ had not come, we would all be cursed people. Why? Because none of us keep it, right? None of us keep it. So, so he came in order to replace that first covenant with what was made, needed to be made inactive in order for us to be able to enter into heavenly things. So how do you, so, so if it was not the work of that first tabernacle were not the works that could get them in there. In other words, none of those priests could enter in, not a single one of them could enter in through that veil into the most holy place, only the high priest. So that's showing, and we'll read a little further here so you can see it. If we go down to verse, we left off in, um, we read verse number seven, then we read verse number eight. Uh, right, verse number eight said, while the first tabernacle was yet standing, right, the, main, the, the, the way was not yet made. Um, in, in, it, I'll read it to you now. I want to make sure that we don't lose uh, lose this in case I don't get that far today. Verse number eight, I'll read it to you again. It says, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all, which was that, that second tabernacle, but really that's depicting heaven. He's saying the Holy Spirit was teaching, or God was teaching us, right, by his spirit, that, that the way to heaven was not yet made manifest or revealed while the first tabernacle was yet standing. What you'll see in the next chapter in Hebrews 10, it says, therefore, brethren, and this will sound familiar to you, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter into the holiest, 
Obviously, God is not telling us to be bold and enter through the veil into the second part of the tabernacle, right? Because there is no tabernacle for us to enter into right, yeah, right now, right? But he's saying having therefore boldness to enter into the holiest, which is heaven, by the blood of Jesus. And not, not enter into the holiest by the works of men. Not enter into the, holy, into the holiest by the works which, are, which were really just about meats and drinks and, 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 and offerings, right? But he's saying have boldness to enter into the holiest or enter into heaven by the blood of Jesus. So there is nothing that men could ever do. There is no work, which, which people talk about this all the time. Have you done enough works? Do you think you're going to heaven? When you ask somebody, do you think you're going to heaven? Isn't it interesting that their mind goes immediately to themselves? Most people, obviously not us, right? But most people, are you going to heaven? Oh, I don't know if I've been good enough. What do you have to do with anything? See, we've been taught that we have something to do with our entrance into heaven, but that's the same thing as saying that you have something to do with your righteousness, right? You were made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ, not because of your good works. Your good works could have never justified you, which is the same thing as saying your good works could have never made you righteous. If Christ had not come, you would, none of us here would be righteous. We would all be unrighteous people, all of us. If Christ had not come, even Abraham could not be righteous, Right? Because the only reason Abraham was made righteous was because he delighted in seeing the day of Christ. In other words, he had faith in the, in the Christ to come. If there was no Christ to come, Abraham would be an unrighteous man. And we, we, he would be the father of our unrighteousness. Right? So, so, th so there is no work that we do that makes us righteous. Right? So, so obviously there's nothing that we can do to help us get into heaven because we get into heaven, it says what? Having the boldness to enter into the holiest of all, the holiest, which is heaven, by the blood of Jesus. In other words, by his death. You enter in by his death, right? That covenant had no power until the death of Jesus. He says, by a new, by a new and living what? By a new and living way. By a new and living way, which he, he, he consecrated for us. Not, not anybody else, but just him, alone, by himself. He consecrated for us that way. He became the way, that truth and the life, right? He became that way. And he's the way all by himself. He's the way without our works. He's the way without our praying. He's, he's, he's the way without our, our, our attendance. He's the way without our giving. He is the way despite us. He is always the way. Always the way. Despite anything that any human being could ever do. He is the way and has always been the way. And the only reason why Abraham was made righteous is because he understood that he is the way. Despite Abraham's works, despite anything that he did, if he would have never brought Isaac up on the mountain, he would still be righteous. He would still be righteous today. He was not made righteous because he brought his son up a mountain to kill him, right? He, he, went, he went up a mountain with, with the surety that, that he would not have to kill his son, right? That in, in, so so here's, a, here's something, if we can go back, if we can go back, go back to Hebrews chapter 9 again. Hebrews chapter 9. Let, let's read 8 again. The Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing. In other words, the works of men were still a thing, right? Verse number 9, which was a figure, the works of of, of that tabernacle, it, it was just a figure for the time present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifice that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to conscience, right? It was a figure. What he's saying is, you don't think, right, that you doing what you're doing is, is making you perfect, right? Nothing that you're doing is making you perfect. Nothing that you're doing is making you guiltless. Nothing that you're doing is ever going to take away the guilt of your sin apart from the death of Jesus Christ, right? So in other words, he's saying, don't get it confused. Nothing that you're doing will ever do that. Nothing that, you're, that you were practicing, it was just a symbol of the one that was to come. It was just a symbol. He said a figure there, which is a symbol. Verse number 10 says, which stood only, or this figure, stood only in meats and drinks and divers' washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. The time of Reformation was the coming of Christ, right? The time of Reformation was the coming of Jesus. Verse number 11 says, but Christ uh, being come a high priest of the good things to come, right? Now, you see that high priest that entered in to that second place, right? Uh, through the veil, and he went in once after all the, the, the busyness of the work of the first tabernacle was cleared, right? It said he, he went in there 
and he went in, the, the high priest went in only once a year. But it says Jesus has come, Christ being come, a high priest of the good things to come. So, so you know that what he was doing was not imitating them, but that they were imitating, quote, unquote, or it was a symbol of what he would do, right? Because Christ was not part of the Levitical priesthood. He was not even born under that tribe. He was born into the tribe of Judah, right? So isn't it interesting, isn't it a beautiful thing, like you, you got to love it, right? That God wouldn't even allow him to be born under the tribe of Levi. So that, to, there's not even any association between that, the actual priesthood, the physical priesthood, and Jesus, apart from just a symbol, right? Because it says so clearly, he came, he came under the tribe of Judah. Actually, if it were just about priesthood and not about him actually being the Messiah, he wouldn't even be allowed to be, forget a high priest, he wouldn't even be allowed to be a priest. Why? Because he's born into the wrong tribe, right? So, so, so the Levitical priesthood in and of itself was just really intended to be a symbol. And the high priest, would, like Aaron, for instance, the high priest Aaron, which was one of the high priests of the time, he was just a symbol of Christ who would come and be our high priest, right? So it says, that, but Christ being come as a high priest of the good things to come, Hebrews also in, in, in the very next chapter, which we're just a few verses away, but in verse number one, it says, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things. The, the law was a shadow, a figure of the good things that were to come. If, if you're, I've said this many times, right? But if you're talking to me, would you rather talk to me or speak to my shadow that's over here, right? In, in other words, it's, in, it's ridiculous to talk to my shadow when I'm standing right here, right? In the same way, it is ridiculous, right, to think that our service to God would be through symbols, right, instead of it being, right, through, through our through the work of the Spirit of God that we received because of the finished work of Christ, right? In other words, that all of the service, all of the work that would need to be done would be done by the Spirit of God, and therefore, obviously, God be glorified, right? So it says, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come, obviously, the good things to come is the Messiah that came, right? That's the good things to come. Actually, that's also really making most of its reference to the things that would come as a cause or as a result of his crucifixion, right? In other words, we live in good times, right? The good times were not before Christ, right? The good times were after. We live in the good times. The, and believe me, even under the Old Testament, you could look forward to those good times and you could receive good even prior to Christ as Abraham did. But, but don't get it wrong. He was looking at our time. He could not receive, fully receive what we, what's been enacted in our lives and in our day today, right, through the coming of Christ and his death, right? We live in a covenant that is fully established today, right? Fully established, and it was not in Abraham's time. Um, it says in 10.1, it says, For having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year, year by year, this is talking about, the sacrifice of the, that the high priest brought in. It says that, that sacrifice that that high priest brought in once every year, it says they were offered year by year continually. It says it, it, said it could never, with those sacrifices which were offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. Or make, you could say also, I think one of the, one of the translations say, make the worshipers perfect, right? If it's not there, it might be a, a like reference. But I, I just want to read that to you quickly because of the reference to the good things to come. So back up again to the good things to come of verse number 11, um, 9-11. But Christ being come a high priest of the good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say not of this building, which is not of this creation, right? Christ entered into the, 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 the heavenly, he entered into the heavenly tabernacle, right? He didn't enter into the physical tabernacle. Jesus did not, uh, he was not raised from the dead and then went into the tent or went into Solomon's temple and went into the holiest of all, right? But into heaven itself, it says, right? Which is not of this building, not of this creation. Verse 12 says, um, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered in once. He entered in once. He, by himself, alone. Without our help, without any help of the priesthood, without any help of anyone, he was completely abandoned by every single person that loved him, and obviously by everyone that hated him, obviously abandoned, but even by those that loved him, he was abandoned, and everything that he did, he did solely by himself 
without the works of men, without the, the wisdom of men, without the works of men, without any ceremony, without any, without any fancy tabernacle around him, without anything, right? He was crucified like a thief, right? By himself he did that. By himself he did it. Neither by the blood of calves in verse number 11, goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered in once, Thank God for the ones, right? Never ever to enter in again into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption. Am I forgiven of my sin? Eternal redemption. Am I forgiven of my sins that I did before? Eternal redemption. Am I forgiven of the sins that I did today? Eternal redemption. Am I forgiven of the sins that I'll commit tomorrow? Eternal redemption. That means forever. When I accept what he did 2,000 years ago, I'm forgiven of all of my sin. Forever. The people before the cross that lived under the law, their sins forgiven forever. After the cross, our sins forgiven forever. Am I, am I forgiven if I do something wrong and I don't remember to confess it to God? Am I forgiven? Eternal redemption. Actually, that practice of confessing your sin is actually a practice under the old covenant that was replaced, right? They had to remember to do that, to remember their sins over and over again. Even the high priest, when he entered into the holiest of all, he had to recollect his sin. Right? Even he, if he had done something against the law, I believe that's in Leviticus, he would even have to do that, right? Thank God we don't live, thank God that our righteousness is not dependent on whether we have a good memory or not, right? What, what a lame thing to base your redemption on, whether or not you remembered, listen, we don't remember what we had for breakfast, let alone what we did yesterday, right? Thank God it's not dependent on our memory. Thank God it's dependent on the blood of Jesus Christ. It says, for verse 13 says, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh. In other words, if a symbol, if, if a symbol could have some significance to cleansing, right? Before the Lord, if, if he gave it a meaning, right, because of Christ, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, verse 14, offered himself without spot to God, right? In other words, without sin. And that's an important thing, right? Because the, 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 the lamb without blemish was symbolic of the lamb, Jesus Christ, without spot. In other words, without sin. It's important because if he had sinned, then he would go to the cross for his own sin right? But because he had no sin and he was crucified and our sin, you, you can see why our sin then was condemned in his flesh, right? Because he, the father obviously, right, was punishing sin, but then whose sin was he punishing? So it's not, so it's clear, right? The answer to am I forgiven, it's not unclear, it's crystal clear, right? God is God for punishing sin. Yes, that's why he did it, right? That's, how, that's why he punished my sin on the cross. Do I have to feel remorseful over what I've done? Do I have to feel guilty for what I've done? Do I have to feel condemned over what I've done? You can if you don't believe in Jesus, right? But, but if he took your condemnation, what feeling of condemnation could be left in you? Because if the one that would condemn you is God, and he is not condemning you because he condemned his own son, then where's the condemnation coming from? Your brain is where it's coming from. Not from God, who is the judge of all, right? But it's coming from your unrenewed mind is where your guilt is coming from. From an unrenewed mind is where your condemnation is coming from. When you have, we, we were talking about feelings before an emotion, right? When you do something wrong and your emotions all well up and you feel so bad, Lord, and against you and only you have I sinned? The stuff you're saying is, is bad emotion, right? That's not good emotion. It's bad emotion. So he's, well, am I supposed to feel good for when I do something? You're not supposed to feel good or bad. You're supposed to feel something for what he did, right? You're supposed to feel something for what he did, right? What we're supposed to remember is Christ and him crucified and feel something about that, right? If you want to feel an emotion, feel emotional about that. But there's nothing for you to feel about what you've done. Because your emotion in 25 cents ain't going to stop you from doing it again, right? It's not, nothing is going to stop you doing it again apart from your mind being renewed by the knowledge of Jesus, right? That's the only thing that will ever stop the, the ongoing sin in life, right? In other words, the, the ongoing wrong that we do in our lives. So since you know, well, no guilt, no remorse, nothing that I do is ever going to fix me from, from doing something wrong again, I might as well allow my mind to be on the right thing, right, which is Christ who did it all, which accomplishes for me. Leave it there. And then you'll see how you go from woe is me to thank you, Jesus, right? You go from woe is me to thank you, Jesus. That's where our mind ought to be with thanksgiving, right? 
right? We, 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 he, he, the Lord wrote these things to us so that we would not sin. But if you sin, remember, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous, right? Jesus the Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that he is our mediator, right? And I'm not my own mediator of this covenant that I have with God, but that he's my mediator. I need a mediator. Thank God we have one. Um, let's, let's read the rest of verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience, listen, from dead works to serve the living God. What are the dead works he's talking about? The works of that first tabernacle, right? In other words, works, right, that are, that don't provide any redemption, works that don't provide any righteousness, works that don't provide any justification, works that don't provide any entry into the holiest of all, right? None of those works could enter through that veil, right? Not, not a single one of them. Not a single one of them could. In, in, in Romans, I'll just read these two references to you very, very quickly. I'm wrapping up here. Romans 1, 9 says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel. Paul said that he served God by his spirit. How do you serve God? In spirit and truth, by his spirit. There's work to be done, but it's not the works of the, it's not the works of the first tabernacle, right? It's believing the work that was done by the veil in the flesh of Christ that gives you entry into the holiest of all, right? It's not you picturing yourself walking in through a tent. It's not you picturing yourself walking in through the temple of Solomon. It's picturing yourself, right, and, and understanding, having understanding in your mind that you can have boldness to enter into heavenly things because of everything he's done. That should be the only thing in our mind, right? It says, uh, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, Romans 7, 6. Romans 7, 6, I'm going to read to you real quick. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, right? We needed to be free of that first, the work of the first tabernacle, right? That, that, that needed to be abolished before entry into heavenly things could happen. He says, but now we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit, right, the new creation that we've been made by the spirit of God and not an oldness of the letter, which is speaking of what? The, the law of Moses, right? We hope you enjoyed this message from Reformed Church. If you have, please share this with someone else and help us get this unpopular message to the world. If you'd like to support Reformed Church, you can do so at reforminus.com give. Also on our website, you can take advantage of our free messages, articles, and even full discipleship courses. Start reforming your mind now at reforminus.com.